0: I went to school here, yeah. I went to Tufts University, class of 2008. And you stuck around? No. You didn't stick around? I stuck around for one year, and then I left um, in 2009 and moved to New York City. And then I went on tour forever, and I feel like I blacked out, and I woke up at my parents' house. And I was like, oh, I live in my parents' house now. And then I moved to Chicago, and then I went to the West Coast, and I just moved back here. I moved back here in August... Ten years after, almost exactly ten years after I departed,
1: what brought you back here?
0: I'm in love. Well, that's as good a reason as any. Yeah, not in love with Boston, in love with the person who lives in Boston, not by any means. No, yeah, with the person who lives here, and uh, got a job here. Okay, we we were living together in Berkeley, Oakland, San Francisco for a while, area, and in Chicago for a while. I was really just back and forth between Chicago and the Bay Area, and they just got a job. Here in Cambridge. They're, uh, they, they're, they're an academic.
1: Okay. They were doing a PhD. Is that intimidating? Dating an
0: academic? No, academics are losers. They're nerds. Yeah. I am, I've am i always been better than nerds. I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, You're I, a punk. I, it's intimidating, yeah. They, like In a lot of ways, um, yeah, my partner is uh, ten times as smart as me. Yeah. Quick and a philosopher, having had to contend with these like these like philosophy classrooms full of straight guys um you just got to you, you become kind of conversationally very quick and even yeah. vicious the you, cutthroat world you of you can make a point really sharply really fast yeah. and um
1: yeah. is it a situation where they don't want to bring that home with them? Or do you find yourself sitting around (laughs) having a lot of like deep philosophical conversations?
0: I I, I love when we do, I noticed a deep, strong instinct that came on a few years ago. Like don't tell anyone about anything specific about my personal life. And I'm not sure why some people tell, tell reporters and and journalists and stuff. They, They tell them everything. Yeah. And I think I used to do that and then I sort of feel like I got burned every time or like I would see something in print and I wish I hadn't said it. I don't know. You isolate that and I think that's – Right. You put it in big quotes at the top. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. That, that becomes on... the headline. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't happen on a podcast. So I, you... But I just remember a little while ago I like read uh, – I was reading about Joan Arma Trading and Joan trading, yeah, like her – it just said somewhere like little, very little is known about Joan Armatrading's mm-hmm. personal life. And she's never said publicly anything about her sexuality or who her partner is. And, and I felt a deep pang of envy and I was like, wow, but, but, why do I feel that way? But
1: she, right. She's so right. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. But she's, I, she's I, like come from, comes from a time and, and where perhaps addressing that could have been deeply problematic.
0: Yeah, but she still hasn't addressed it.
1: She came up during that and she sort of like, she kind of like dealt with that. And there's like a, perhaps like a deep seated discomfort. And I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is maybe there's a power in talking about it because, you know, maybe it's a thing where it's not necessarily your job, but if you are kind of open about such things, it can help other people who are in similar positions. There's no obligation, certainly.
0: Well, I talk about my, like, um, I'm, like, out. You know, yeah. I'm not closeted about being bisexual and being gender nonconforming and stuff like that. But the specifics of of life information are, like, sure. what my relationship status is. I don't know. I have an instinct to not talk about it. It's interesting. I wonder why. I wonder why.
1: I, I was looking at your... Twitter account today. It's mm-hmm. a little, you know, some of the very light research I do. Mm-hmm. You wrote, uh, confronting gender hurts. Yeah. Which is like a deeply personal thing to write on social media. Yeah.
0: Not only confronting gender, what I wrote was confronting gender hurts. And I don't, I don't honestly, I honestly don't know if I'm breaking my bones to, re, to so that they can heal or if I'm just fucking breaking my bones for no reason.
1: Like, what's a more personal thing you could possibly write on Twitter than that?
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's not about, like, personal feelings of vulnerability. I don't feel shy about that. Like, I feel shy, like, talking about, I don't know, like, people. my family people? members or, like, yeah, people, I yeah. guess. I don't want to bring them into this. It seems like a, the, the, having a public life seems like, yeah, it, it becomes a real cruel game real fast, and I play it. I have got my reasons to play it, but you know, I don't. I don't know if the other people in my life need to be uh, dragged into that.
1: Something I want to kind of like circle back around to uh, was the John Cale interview you did. Oh yeah, it was great and super enlightening for a number of reasons. One of which was, you know, I really kind of felt I got this energy from you just like really trying to relate to him and like kind of dangling things in front of him and just being like, Hey, do you feel this? Do you feel this way too? And one, but one of the topics that you brought up during that conversation was fame.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: That you wanted to be famous and maybe don't feel that way anymore.
0: Yeah. um, I did want to, I used to want to be famous more. I don't know. I can't tell if it's like I got, it, and then it's like, well, I don't even want it. Yeah, and like it's sort of an immature. Do you thing. feel and famous? I, still, I mean, I'm more famous than I used to be. Sure. The thing is, I what I wanted the most when starting out was like just the kind of fame that would, like, strangers would have my music on a a mix that they give to their friend. Mm. Like that was that was. To be a part of strangers' lives.
1: Yeah. That's how I heard about you in the first place. I think it was your second record. Somebody put it on the mix.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And then, so that, and that, that doesn't take that much time to happen if you, like, put out a record and get a few fans. And I, after that, I don't know. To me, that's the, that's, that was the dangling jewel and, Nothing since achieving that has been, I've been as driven to get, to get, you know, because I don't know, I guess there was a period where I was like, I need to, it's like every year that goes by, it seems less alluring to be more famous. And I'm trying to like keep up my (laughs) enthusiasm for it because I know it's, it's good for me on multiple vectors, you know, to be (laughs) as well known as possible. But it's not like the driving thing. It's it,
1: good. I don't think like I don't think it's healthy to have just fame be the primary driver for making, you know, art.
0: Yeah, that's right. I guess it started to seem like it becomes a really big distraction.
1: Are, are there examples of your life where being known by people has become a distraction or is it it's the drive to get there that's the distraction? Yeah, like the
0: working on that rather yeah. than working on making good art that's i fear that and like the more your things are happening with your career the more it's like hard to get time to make art kind of unless i mean the thing that does make me want to be like rich and famous is that like maybe i could like not hustle just like stop working so hard Mm. on playing all the shows and making enough money to live. And then I could just have many, just a lot of time, a yeah. lot of time to work on something really great.
1: Do you think that you would be driven to continue creating if there wasn't the pressure to create?
0: Oh, I hope so. I, I, I actually feel the opposite of pressure to create. Almost. but you feel the
1: pr- the pressure to do things in order to make money and live and survive. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing that you do to make money and live and survive is create.
0: And also but also like I don't when I was young and first doing this, I I was like I am never I hope I'm never I don't know. I know what I thought. I I said to myself when I was younger that I hope I'm never like writing an album because it's time to have another album. I want to always be doing it cuz I've got something I'm I have to say and I or something I'm fascinated by that I'm like I want it to be like my first record every time like like needing it to exist for its own sake, not for the sake of a career. I, I don't like this concept of having a career really. I, I and I and I wanna if nobody knows me for writing books or like a play or something, but that's the best way to to say what should be said or do what should be done or that, that I to say the thing I have to say, then I wanna write the play. I guess I want yeah, I want the thing I have to say to dictate yeah. the form, not the fact that I have a career to to be like, well, I've got to fill this space. A big part of what dictates the
1: form is this the tools that you have, the skill set you have to make it. I mean, you know, music is a thing that you're good at and that you can make. Yeah. So it makes sense that that would be the thing that you create and use as a conduit to get these ideas
0: out. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got a lot of infrastructure to, <laughs> to make records sure. and stuff. But, like, to be honest, that's not how I came to it because... What I thought I was good at was writing prose when I was a kid,
1: and you also didn't have that infrastructure when you started that exists now.
0: Yeah, and I wasn't good at music either. I was bad at it, and I sounded I sounded pretty bad singing. And I think I went to music. And, there's something embarrassing about it, but like I don't think I had the deep interest in music. I was like, that's a form of writing that seems powerful. And I could like do that better than writing stories. You didn't have an
1: interest in music?
0: Well, I did. I was obsessed with it, but like, I was obsessed with it as like, I don't know how to draw the distinction. I, w- I was interested in the way people in writing and performance, you know? Um, and I didn't care if things like sounded good. Like I was interested in songwriting, I guess. Most of all. And it's still, it's still the, the main thing that fascinates me and I want to get better at, I mean, I want to get better at all of it and I want it to sound nice and I'd like to be a better singer and stuff. But, um, the primary driver is like the writing, the form, the form of writing that it is. Does that make sense?
1: How is me- songwriting different than like poetry, for example?
0: Oh, it's so different. I think you got, it. I, I want to write things that um, get lifted by rhythm and harmony, that, um, words that go beyond words by being delivered with melody and noise and mm. stuff. It was like, I would write poems. I mean, I do sometimes write poems, but usually I'm like, yeah, but it's got to be more. It's got to be, you have to, f- I wish you could just feel it more when the moment you read it. I don't know. There's something fascinating to me as a writer with the form of songs and records has a form of writing.
1: I completely understand from the standpoint of how transformational music is, even if it's like a bare bones thing, like, like a good example of this for me would be John Darnielle and the mountain goats. Yeah. Where obviously one, one of our great writers and, you know, and, and all of that stuff is poetry. And, you know, this, the stuff that I first started listening to him with was very bare bones musically. Or like Leonard yeah. Cohen, right? I mean, like, pretty simple. A lot of the music he's putting around these is, is pretty simple. But, like, I'm not going to sit down and read a book of Leonard Cohen poetry. And it's not because I don't think it's mm-hmm. probably great. But, like, that's not how I choose to. I don't read poetry, but, like, music is, is a constant. There is something about that combination that's just completely transcendent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know, it's the best. It's the best thing. But I've always had trouble with, like, uh, instrumental music. There's some instrumental music I'm into, and I've learned to find the person. But I'm like, where's the voice? Where's the person in there? That's what I'm interested in. Or sometimes, like, I guess often the best thing about a record is that you can get a whole culture, kind of a whole way of being. Just you can hear it right away. And you can kind of try it on. You're like, what have I felt? What have I carried myself that way? That's a lot of what drew me in to, to the job. I could hear, you know, like Lou Reed doing Sweet Jane. I was like, that's a whole different way to carry oneself. And that song is a great piece of writing, but it's, but it's really, what it really is is I think a great performance. He's just, he's just, he can just hear. He's kind of um, made a playground for himself to play in.
1: I think being on stage with John Cale and bringing up Loaded is one of the ballsiest things I think I've seen somebody do. And and you you know obviously what
0: happened? Like, what did he ask me? My favorite? No, no, or you were. I
1: think you were. <laughs> Kind of talking to him about your uh, journey with the Velvet Underground and that you. Oh yeah, I started with Loaded. And yeah, I'm... so you got into like the Beatles record, <laughs> you know? You right. got into like, what, and what I think is like a is is a perfect okay. pop record.
0: Yeah, and the cool kids like the John Cale records. Yeah. I remember that's what we were talking about, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. I guess it is kind of bold.
1: <laughs> he seemed to kind of wave, wave it off. It was fine, but. Yeah,
0: Yeah, but the thing is when I actually, to actually meet him, I also, it's really a heroic artist in my life that, um, huge, just a huge impact on my life as a, as a maker of, as a, as a musician and songwriter. But once I'm talking to him, it's like, we're talking shop kind
1: of. Yeah. You know, I was watching you and, and I think that it really, it struck me because, you know, not, you're not a professional interviewer and I think that that was a, a strength there hmm. where it was really just two people, usually in the conversation, but trying to find where you connected with them. I think most people, most smart people have some degree of imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, oh, I've <laughs> got this opportunity with a hero of mine. Somebody who, like, I respect his craft so much. I just kind of want to see if he, like, has had these same feelings.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. What, what <laughs> else do I ask him about? I, I don't want to ask him about, like... Somebody Somebody from the crowd asked him some dumb question about, like, did you really beat somebody up with a pair of chopsticks or something? And uh, we, I, I figured, like, both of our faces fell. You're like, oh, that's what we're here for.
1: For you, though, you know, in in the early days, was there kind of a struggle for validity? You know, did did it take a while to realize that you might be on the right track?
0: You know, it was a weird thing that I I did not think I was I was going to have like do music as my thing or like be Mm. like make records and stuff. It just didn't it didn't that didn't sound to me like an open path. It didn't um, seem like a possibility. No, no. It would be cool if it happens. Even when I started a band, like it w- it took till like, actually when we got signed to a record label that I was like, oh, maybe I'm just already doing it. Yeah. And then you keep doing it. But it just, it didn't seem possible. But I didn't have, I had a weird, at the same time, I had a weird confidence in my writing and performing. Like I was just like, I felt like I was better at writing songs than anyone I knew, and I was, like, cocky about that.
1: You you know, you strike me as a shy person or somebody who can can be shy. There's a disconnect, because I have this in me, too, where there's a disconnect where, you know, maybe, like, one-on-one or with a new person you are sort of shy but you're able to go out on stage Mm. and you're able to to perform you're able to do this thing that like even some of the most confident people still can't do
0: what i'm shy about is is talking to people and improvising my way through life trying to get the the prospect of trying to get my perspective heard in a conversation with multiple people or just like a regular social life i just get steamrolled a lot of the time and used to a lot more and so the stage that's a place where I prepare what I have to say and I, no one can really interrupt me while I say it it's like a dream situation for someone like me who's I've been like waiting all day all year to get to say something the way I want to say it and like own the space so I think that's why like that for me there was always a like getting on stage was always like yes finally finally i'm gonna say something and everybody has to shut up and listen you were one of four kids yes (laughs) did you have trouble getting a word in edgewise well i was probably the quietest one perhaps i don't know um my mom was just recently telling me how like i would just like leave all the time (laughs) Uh, we'd like be together and like watching TV and, or whatever. And I would just like go away. And... I hid during my bar mitzvah. Whoa. They couldn't find me for like an hour or two. Oh my God. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that's like... No, but it was just. Congratulations on your bar mitzvah.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um... It's been a few years, but, but it was that thing of, and this is a thing that's hard for me to reconcile. You know, I could do this or go on TV or have these conversations, but like, I hate being the center of attention. Makes wow. me super uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it's some kind of, perhaps some kind of neurological difference, yeah. personality difference. I want to be the center of attention. I really do, and I am not good at taking that space. Like, like I, I, I make myself small, and I let everybody else go first, and then I, I wait for my, <laughs> yeah, eventual moment in
1: the case of performing a set of songs when you say you know what you want to say are you speaking about the songs themselves
0: well and also no i mean it's the whole thing it's it's a package where i get to present my perspective and it's also it's also the big part of the appeal of making records you just get to plan it and edit it i like writing stuff in advance You know, I like getting to prepare it. It's interesting, though, you
1: know, something that you wrote six months ago, a year ago, or like five years ago, is that always the thing that you want to say on that day?
0: No. And often I'll, I I mean, I ditch all the songs all the time. Yeah. Usually, yeah, I, I try to build these songs well so they will last and be sturdy and I'll be able to tell, I'll be able to tell what I what i meant and reconnect with it in performance and i usually can i almost always like because because if i start to realize that we've been doing some song and it just doesn't seem like the thing i have to say then we stop doing it and that's happened with a ton of songs songs that people request too
1: you strike me and this is you know based on some some interviews i've I've seen as somebody who and I, i have this problem in some degree too but internalizes a lot of sort of like bigger things happening around yourself, political things, like big problems with the world. Like these are yeah. things that you kind of hold yeah, deep. And, and, and I'm wondering, you know, when something happens, when Trump is elected or something, if that has how profound of an impact that has on the creative stuff that you're
0: putting out in the world. That's a good question. Well, that it's hard to tell for me, actually, I feel like I've, I've put more of my reaction to the news of the day into my music as time has gone on. And I think that might be actually just paying more attention. Mm. But it's happening at the same time as a sort of turn in public life and world politics and stuff. So I can't tell which it is. Am I paying... I kind of... I don't know. I know I was writing this transangelic exodus... Record, which is like about sort of desperate refugees and maybe a questionably authoritarian state. And I was writing it before the, the election and stuff, the, the Trump election. And I don't know, I just, it, it had been like every year I, I was, I would see and be more disturbed by the calamities in the news that I than I had the previous year, and I think it was an ev- evolution of personality more than an evolution of the news, because there's always disasters going on. There's just the, the rich just kill the poor every decade, every century, and they get away with it. I don't know. I guess I'm noticing more and more that that's the content of my soul is has objection to that. it's healthy yeah yeah, i mean because i'm i'm looking i'm just looking to make a record about a a music soul music uh music that comes from the contents of my soul more and more my soul contains like really concern for the vulnerable and a dream of a world of love and care and i'm not sure i wouldn't blame uh I wouldn't, I, I don't know. The The emergencies were all emergencies. Um, 10 years ago.
1: I've seen you call it protest music or yeah, I, political music or protest, I, I, protest music though. Like, like, I guess when I think about something being specifically a protest song, it's like very much tied to a moment in time. Yeah. But it sounds like you're, whether purposefully or not, dealing with these sort of larger, more intangible ideas.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rather proud of our 12 nudes album, which it like, it feels of its time. It feels of this year. Can you point it's to anything on there that
1: feels specifically 2019, 2020?
0: Anger and anxiety. Yeah, like it, it, um, it opens with calm down and it's like, it opens with like trying a song that's telling you to calm down that's obviously can't be taken sincerely, you know? It's like, it's a very anxious... It's like the opposite of a calming song.
1: Yeah. Do you feel that you're becoming blunter in your lyrics, that you're becoming more direct?
0: No promises. But, like, what 2020 feels like, this year feels like, um, we're going to have to deal with this stuff that we've been not dealing with. And... We're gonna have to acknowledge how bad certain things have gotten. That feels like this year, and that's what the record is about. But that's also a sentiment that's like, there are plenty of times in anybody's life where they feel that way. Where like, I've, it's time for me to admit that something is wrong.
1: Excuse me, in the context of being at bands where as long as Things seem to be moving in the right direction. You're in good shape. Um, uh-huh. I want to sort of circle that around to the political where during the Obama presidency, got a black president, we've made all these steps forward and, you know, LGBTQ rights. It seems like things are generally moving in the right direction. What I'm getting at is I think it's easier to be complacent when it feels like generally society is making progress. And then all of a sudden something happens and you kind of slam into a brick wall and you realize, Oh, maybe things aren't as rosy as they appear to be.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember I was writing in a notebook or something on, um, the day of the presidential election in 2016. And, um, What I was dreading was what I expected to happen, which was that Hillary Clinton would win and all these people, I don't know, all these liberals would be like, we beat the forces of evil. Everything's okay. (laughs) And I was like, we, and I could tell that if um, somehow Donald Trump won, it would be like, everyone would react like there was an emergency, like there was a calamity. And I was like, we need to react as though Trump did win, you know, because he, cause he's not just him. Like he's like, he's the, he's the public wound, you know?
1: Yeah, He's I, the symptom, not the source.
0: He's the symptom, not the source. Yeah, that's right. And, and also like just, under before he was in politics or anyone was really paying attention to him i don't know there was just emergencies climate change was an emergency in um 2012 and so was like healthcare i
1: sort of had a similar thought of you know maybe maybe he need you know in in like sort of like the um the AA thing of like hitting rock bottom, like maybe, maybe he needs to win in order for things to move in the right direction. But then I
0: had, I didn't think that.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, my thought was sort of like, Hey, maybe if things get rigged really bad, the pendulum will swing the other way. But then I, I had a discussion with somebody who's like, Oh, you know, I'm, you know, I would, I'm an immigrant to this country. Like, what if I, you know, th- this is not a thing that I can wait for four years to get better. Mm. That that there are people whose lives are going to immediately be impacted by that. Fact. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: There was a lot of sort of speculation around that, and there were a lot of like like think pieces about like um you know he'll just it'll be bad, we'll be four years, and then maybe like ultimately we'll be a better for it. But clearly, like that is not the case.
0: <sighs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I I yeah. People people have died. There's a lot. <sighs> I don't, I don't really deal in the, in the what ifs. It's just like each, each day is like a new situation that demands attention or like, you know, some kind of reaction. Yeah. And making, making the, I wanted the record to be an emotional reaction to it that like took, took the, the worst feelings seriously. I don't know. I spent a lot of time like not being able to look at. Certain things that terrified me, like hmm. climate change, increasingly like rising white supremacy, that kind of stuff, nightmare stuff. and I like I, I, I felt it was my job to like sort of rally people for a little while and be like, eh, everything's gonna be okay, don't despair and then i I just started to realize I it would be worthwhile to spend some time feeling like things are as bad. As I actually think they are, or as bad as they, or at least just admitting how bad it feels sometimes. That that you're that I'm in pain. That other people are in pain. Um, something is wrong. It shouldn't be that way.
1: That's where you are in that arc. You're really kind of being open and upfront about these feelings.
0: Yeah, feel. Uh, like, look at. Let yourself see it as, like, bleak and or, or like, a total emergency. And if you let it feel that bad, what would you do if it felt that bad?
1: What is your instinct in your own life? You know, because I, I know you've dealt with anxiety, depression.
0: Mm, yes.
1: That's the thing about depression especially is when things feel really bad, you don't feel motivated necessarily to address them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it depends. I don't know. Maybe like, um, maybe there's different kinds of, there's different kinds of these things. Yeah. But, um, sometimes like for me, a lot of, um, I don't even know what to call it. Degradation of my spirit and like will, um, comes from. Actually trying to fight away the bad feelings and not letting ha- them have their time, not letting them have their moment.
1: There's a certain amount of energy being expended on.
0: I'm fighting off a really feeling of sadness or inadequacy or, or, or fear or gender dysphoria because they're hard things to deal with. And they seem like they're going to be huge. If you're really going to feel them, they're going to be so huge, you'll just drown in it. But um, usually if you just... I think sometimes it's true that you should let it in and let yourself feel that bad. Take a day or an hour or five minutes to feel that bad. And then, then the thing will have... You know, it, it will have had its time and it will leave you alone. I mean, maybe it'll come back, but, like, I suppose it's influenced by, uh like, Buddhist thinking. Just, like, let, let the bad feeling be the bad feeling. Don't yeah. have a bad feeling about it. Don't, like, wrestle it into some story where you don't feel that way.
1: Do you feel like you know yourself better than you did, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago?
0: Way better, yeah. On a good day, anyway.
1: What have you realized about yourself that you might not have known back then?
0: Well what was ten years ago <laughs> when uh, I left Boston? You know, for
1: me the timeline is sort of like, you know, I, I sort of I discovered your music around, you know, probably two thousand eight, right?
0: So mm-hmm. early so, times. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think second second record for you. Yeah. So so compare yourself in the harpoons to today. And where you are, and how much you know about yourself, and what 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 is it that you have figured out about yourself?
0: I one thing that I think of right away when I think of the time that I was in the harpoons was that I wanted to, um, I wanted everybody to like me, mm-hmm. and um, and I wanted, failing that, everything to go totally smoothly, and me to never. Um, make anyone else uncomfortable. What did
1: you, like, day-to-day, what did you sort of do to present yourself in a way that would make people like you or be more comfortable around you?
0: I would just be like the... I would act like the people I was hanging out with, basically. Yeah, and I, I mean, the people I was hanging out with were, like, kind of... uh Well, I, you know, a diversity of people, but especially my band, like, they were just, like, nice smart broy guys who had like a certain kind of culture that a sort of i don't know for me it was painfully masculine and and sort of emotions shut down yeah like a lot of inability to speak at least that's how it felt for me and yeah i i probably said yeah cool <laughs> um a hundred times a day. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I've basically spent 10 years trying to destroy, yeah, cool. I'm trying to root it out from, from any part of my social instincts and like be the full inconvenient queer religious person that I actually am in my head and actualize it outside of my brain i mean i think that's also that's for a lot of people that's just growing up kind yeah. of becoming an adult who's more who they there's less of less of a disconnect but i i could see that i could go for years in this like feeling of being in disguise or or in hiding
1: i mean obviously these are two very different things but both e- equally important to you but when it comes to being an observant jew or when it comes to being genderqueer were those things that you weren't upfront about at the time
0: i wasn't very upfront about either i mean i didn't i i didn't present feminine at all i started like in 2011 on stage is when i first like publicly wore a Dress, and it felt like such a huge thing. And it had to be on stage so yeah. everyone would know it's like a show. It doesn't mean anything about who I actually am or something. And I think it was kind of, I was just, I I was very entirely private about um, spirituality and, and religion. And I didn't, to the extent that I practiced it, it was like in private and no one would ever notice me.
1: It's a tough it. combination for people because you're sort of like alienate. You could potentially alienate people on like either end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, like, I've, I've spent a lot of time being, th- just feeling like I'm just like too much from too many yeah. weird esoteric things. Like, because
1: people who who like are often, you know, um, progressive or leftists are often alienated by religion.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's often true or it's like a it's a need it's a learned habit yeah, sure. to to be
1: any prepared. alienation is though i mean any any sort of prejudice or any any awkward feeling around these sorts of things has to be learned right i mean like being yeah. offended by somebody's sexuality is not innate
0: yeah i think that's right i think it's taught yeah uh, explicitly or subtly yeah that's right I, I it's like i don't know you could imagine uh, I feel like you're imagining a spectrum from like God fearing, yeah. uh, religious person to like, um, leftist queer yeah, and like, I'm like on both ends of it.
1: Were those two parts hard to reconcile for you? Um,
0: from the
1: standpoint that like traditionally a lot of religions have issues with non-sexual Yeah. yeah.
0: It is on one on some level. It's really, really hard, and continues to be hard to like. I mean, yeah, like I read the Torah, which yeah. legislates the death penalty for homosexuality, um, but also a and, lot of other silly things. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, uh, I ha- I I have to. I mean, I read that, and I and I have to imagine it has an effect on me and i feel it like oh some version of this religion wants me dead and then way on the other side of it all is like this religion wants the slaves to go free wants dignity for all people and also to me conceptually it's is made to um made to evolve and has evolved. Judaism as practiced today is, would be unrecognizable. Personally.
1: And and there's such a broad spectrum of the way people practice it.
0: Yeah. So it's like built, I, I think it's built for um, getting, I don't know, just like actualizing its values as society changes um, I think it's
1: built for like, for, you know, being able to sort of like fold up and stick under your arm and be able to flee with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's this thing that sort of survived all of these like horrible moments in history and all of these various exoduses. And there's, there's something about it. There's something about it that people have held on to that they're still practicing it to this day.
0: Yeah. Well, it is very portable to me. I yeah. mean, habitual transcendence a hundred blessings a day. You know, there it, it's not separated into here's the sanctuary and here's the rest of your life. It's like It it factors you've got, into Yeah, you've got you've got rituals for you know, there's just like God is involved in the in your I don't know paying your employees and um driving your horse or car
1: you feel that it's in spite of certain you know for obvious reasons issues you might take with it you feel that it still forms the basis of your morality um to some degree in order to survive and practice religion you have to be able to pick and choose um but you feel that it's still a kind of a fundamental part of the way you perceive the world
0: I mean, listen, like, I guess there's some picking and choosing, but not really, like...
1: Again, if it's a religion where you could be stoned for being homosexual, like...
0: Well, you couldn't be is the thing. You um That, I guess you could have been, maybe, yeah. in the... Uh, or
1: that it says that you should be.
0: Right. Th- there's sort of like... um I don't know, sort of like, uh, well, they don't, they don't really do an eye for an eye, do they? Since, since uh, long before the year zero, it's like, no, there's, there's asterisks on every word. You know, it was never, I don't think you, you want to read, I know that you are traditionally not supposed to read the Jewish Bible as a finished document.
1: So let me, let me, I guess, let me reframe it. Um, how much of sort of your own personal politics and your own interacting with the world do you feel like is kind of a direct result of your practicing?
0: I wonder, I wonder, sometimes I think I'd, I'd just be, um, a wreck without, um, the influence of religion. And sometimes, I think I might be exactly the same. I don't know. I think I might be an addict. Um, but I also look at other people in my life who aren't so different from me, and but who don't really have put much stock in um, religious practice or language, and uh, they seem all right. <laughs>
1: have, you, have you been less religious at certain points in your life? Is it something yeah, you left that's... and kind of came back to? Mm-hmm. And if so, what brought you back to it?
0: I could see, I, I could see it when I was 15 is when I could see that it was something I loved. That's when I, I feel like I, I got into it. I started reading Jewish philosophy and stuff like that and started taking it as an adult thing, a way to mm-hmm. take, um, take my life seriously more, you know, and not just like talk about television. And, uh, I knew since I was a teenager that I like wanted it. I wanted, um, um yeah just like daily practices that are guided by a sense of transcendent truths and like the infinite dignity of all people um to be like daily part parts of my daily life um but I you know it's certain for certain reasons yeah fell out of the discipline of it or I mean ra- rather I should probably say I was actively pushed away you know and and trying to figure out, being queer and it just didn't seem like religion was a place to do that.
1: Pushed away by the outside world or by
0: yourself? Yeah, by. Re- um, Were you actively rejected by
1: people in a religious community because subtly,
0: just subtly, and yeah. and non-explicitly, sort of just um, social? I don't know. Just like when you can tell people here are a certain way and I'm not supposed to be the way I am here. Even when you weren't presenting
1: in the way that you are
0: now. Yeah. Yeah. Not because I was wearing a dress or something, just because I I was in invisible mode, uh, closeted. And I was like, I feel like I can't tell anyone here that I am attracted to a man, Yeah, you know? Um, and you know, but it was like, there was a hole, there was a gaping hole there, I, th- I felt. I mean, what I tried to find is like the places where these in- these most prominent, inconvenient parts of myself, being a queer and being a, um, obsessed with God, like, yeah. could both, could both breathe at the same time. Cause it's like, I feel so, yeah, closeted about both of these things so often, and it's like, any place where one of these parts of myself could breathe, the other had to be underwater, and then you find the places where they can both breathe. Have you found that tribe? Have you found that group of people? Yeah, the gay Jews. The gay Jews. Love them. Yeah. It's, I, I I I wish I wish I knew there they were around earlier. Yeah, I'm into some some pretty queer Jewish communities yeah. that I've collected over the years um yeah i mean like it's it is it it i feel like it takes a bunch of background or extra talk to like to to explain how these things reconcile but they completely do for me and like you know you 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 um i don't know it's like it's you can break the Sabbath to save a life, right? Yeah, and there, that's a death penalty thing. Breaking the Sabbath, and like, we're you're, you're saving lives. You're saving lives by m- making communities where people can be out, and uh, it it should not be a religious difficulty yeah. to accommodate queer people because it's a religious duty about human dignity and and human life you know there is like a system of values that um expresses itself in judaism and i just feel like it 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 can be more and more um it can be better and better expressed as uh as we ourselves with our with our hands and arms and (laughs) i don't know with our with our pushing Mm -hmm. um evolve the the religion I'm I'm like pushing. I'm in every area. I feel like I'm pushing. I just. It sounds like gender is still something you struggle with. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not. You know, I mean, it, you know, you want to think that once somebody has sort of been open about it and accepted that part of themselves, that like it's not a struggle anymore. But you still. You still grapple with it all. What what is it's it? It's a mess. What is it so hard day to day? You know what what is the difficulty at this point in your life? You obviously like know who you are.
0: Listen, I'm I'm a, I'm a lot happier yeah. uh, than I used to be, and I've come to understand that that has a ton to do with being out and and presenting feminine in daily life. But I don't know. Uh you just still have, I mean, I don't, I, I have, have I accepted myself? I don't, I still don't even know Hmm. what I am, what I, what, what there is to accept. It, it it feels so completely in flux and you're just dealing with like the world slinging arrows at you all fucking day when you're gender nonconforming. You just hear it from strangers and you read the news about it and stuff and, uh, internet comments about it being illegitimate to be gender nonconforming or transgender. I, I, that's like the loudest voice. The the positive voices get so so drowned out. I just hear like the negativity get amplified so much more. I guess um, maybe day.
1: maybe you don't you know and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe it's like you don't want to have to feel like walking down the street in a jet dress is an act of transgression or an act of protest, you know, it's, it's, you know, obviously like you come from, uh, you know, kind of like a, a, a punk community and a punk mentality. And, and, and there's a part in all of us that wants to just say, fuck you to everybody, but you don't want to feel like the act of non-conforming to a gender is a way of saying, fuck you. You just want it to just be, who you are and how you go through the world. Yeah.
0: And not to have to explain it to people. Yeah. And it's, it's less the people that I want to say, fuck you to. It's like less like, I don't know, getting like, uh, some people being openly mean to you is one thing. And it's, it can be rough. Other times it just bounces off. And you're like, I don't care. But I feel like the more, what, what is more ubiquitous is like having to ex- re-explain. Yeah. Like, and it's nobody's fault it, like you can't blame the people that you wanna that are that have questions about it, and I don't, but um, you
1: st- and you still have questions, you know like on like getting back to Twitter, like I noticed that you like you said, listen, like I'm fine with all of these pronouns. yeah, you have questions about it too. Yeah, I'm
0: fascinated by the whole thing and, and other trans people are really so different from me a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I can't be misgendered, which is a superpower of mine. <laughs> um, cuz I've just I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. Just that those things are all me. Um and but I I can see that it's like the it, it's um it matters. It matters to others. Um I don't know, yeah, I've got a lot of questions about it. Like if there was a world, this is one what I think about the most is like if there was a world where like, um, like a cisgendered man could just be more feminine and mm. like, um, no one would ever make a big deal about it in any way. Like you wouldn't get subtly discouraged and like abused about it all the time. Like, would there even be transgender people? If mm. like, would you? And, and it's an open question. I actually don't know. People associate
1: it w- with uh, other genders more deeply. Like, I, I think, hmm. I, yeah, I mean, there would be less of a stigma, sure, and, and people would be more open and more fluid generally, but that doesn't mean that, like, pe- other people wouldn't associate more feminine.
0: Yeah, I guess that's probably right. It's probably right. But but what, I don't know. It's so much...
1: But the world I mean, would absolutely be a better place. It, yeah. Case, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I just don't want to have to push so hard.